America, I love it, you love it. Uh, I like this version of America where we agree that we're a country and that we have certain values in common, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, liberty, all that stuff. But this is going away and going away fast. Pretty soon, it could be more along the lines of this. No joke, we are going here very, very fast. The entire country is being hijacked by the far left woke community. We are being hijacked, and that is terribly, terribly unfortunate. I think we gotta fight back, and I've been revitalized, actually, because when the athletes started kneeling, I objected, but after a while, I stopped caring. I mean, okay, they're a bunch of idiots and they're kneeling and uh, have at it, but now I'm seeing it's happening at the Olympics. At the Olympic Games, they are kneeling. Our soccer team, that crew, kneeling. And they even got the Swedes to do it. Uh, by the way, this is not doing much for their game. Um, all of this stuff has taken their focus, the athletes, off of what they really should be uh, concerned about. In the run-up to the Olympics, they were actually wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. You see this? Black not only kneeling for the flag, but wearing Black Lives Matter stuff, paraphernalia. We'll get into, in a moment, a quick review of how corrupt and warped and sick the ideology is behind Black Lives Matter. Uh, but again, this is doing nothing for their soccer. They lost three to zero to uh, the Swedes, uh, not known as a particularly effective team when it comes to uh, soccer. So Black Lives Matter, it's damn near destroying this country. The ideology and every ignorant person who goes around and starts a fire and jumps on a car, they have no idea what's really at work here. We've seen the results though. These kinds of images are glorified. Hey, how about when President Trump went in front of that church with a Bible? Somehow that was abhorrent, yet a Black Lives Matter banner in front of that same church. That's the scene today, right there on the right. That's okay. That's beautiful. That's how it should be. A real quick recap about what Black Lives Matter stands for, all right? There is an ideology. There is an organization. And some of this stuff has been scrubbed off their website because, well, they started feeling the heat. But take a look at this noxious, toxic, toxic nonsense. Their mission statement, we are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, black trans folk especially. Yes, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by Trans antagonistic violence. I know this is all gobbledygook, but it goes on. We build a space that affirms black women and is free from sexism, misogyny, and environments in which men are centered. Look, I don't like misogyny. I don't like sexism. But the men, this is very anti-male, it seems. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family, you know, mother, father. Structure requirements by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another. This is um, socialist, atheistic nonsense and uh, gobbledygook, really. And we have soccer players wearing their shirts <laughs> and kneeling uh, to impress these, uh, these folks. Very strange. And again, as a practical matter, it's taken their eye off the ball because with this movement has come plenty of opportunities. Uh, the one with the pink hair, you know she's also a talk show host in addition to her soccer playing duties.
How can we have this bigger conversation? For me, the point is to get the whole story. This is the first election where I feel like we are actually voting for our lives. I have this joke. Are we in the downfall section of our Wikipedia page right now? <laughs> I'm a gay female athlete. I can't ever just be one thing. Is there an opportunity to shift our country? Injustice is not built to last. I saw the show. It's uh, pretty bad. AOC, you know her. Nicole Hannah-Jones with the red hair. She's a 1619 Project person. And what about Megan Rapino, the soccer star slash talk show host? What is she again? I'm a gay female athlete. I can't ever just be one thing. She might be hung up that she's gay. Nobody else is. It's fine. Uh, it's the athlete part, I think. they got to start focusing on. Again, can I see that score, please? They lost 3-0 to zero to Sweden. Better luck next time. I think they play again on Saturday. Um, embracing Black Lives Matter and neglecting our primary duties. That's what the culture seems to want right now. And Jeff Bezos is not helping. All right, there he is, ecstatic. He just got back from space. At first, I thought it was pretty cool, actually. He funded it himself, or actually, I guess the workers did. He got to outer space, had fun for about three minutes. You saw that, right? Yeah! Well done! Here, toss me one. Let me try. Here it goes. All right, all right, all right. Good for him. Good for him. He had a little bit of fun. It's not that big a deal. Did not go high as Alan Shepard did 60 years ago. But this is a step in the right direction. Let's face it, NASA for a couple of years there seemed to drop the ball. And uh, this ultimately could take a lot of people to space. And then when he got back on the ground, he ruined the whole thing. He unveiled a great, big, rather silly award, the Courage and Civility Award, recognizing leaders who aim high, pursue solutions with courage, and always do so with civility. I am announcing today uh, a new philanthropic initiative. And uh, if you could put the slide up so people can see it. It is called the Courage and Civility Award. It recognizes leaders who aim high and who pursue solutions with courage and who always do so with civility. Well, let me tell you how I feel about this. I feel strongly enough I actually wrote something down. Um, we live in a world where sometimes, instead of disagreeing with someone's ideas, we question their character or their motives. And guess what? After you do that, it's pretty damn hard to work with that person. And really what we should always be doing is questioning ideas. Sounds beautiful. It's actually not. It's an implicit criticism of you know who, Donald Trump. Um, and it's hypocritical, big time, big time. We'll get to that in a moment. What's actually happening here, and we touched on this last night, but I want to go a little bit further. This is virtue signaling. Jeff Bezos went into space with three other people. They all happen to be Caucasian. Now, that's fine with me. That's fine with normal people of any race. But given the moment we're in right now and given that it's Amazon and corporate America and you can't have four white people on such a stage with all that visibility, uh, you got to bring up some people of color really quick. 
And that's what they did. They actually use these guys. Uh, one is Jose Andres, a, what is he again? He's a chef. And the other one is Van Jones. You may have seen him on CNN. And they gave each of these guys $100 million to uh, basically do whatever they want with. Give it to their own charity, other charities. This is totally bizarre. Van Jones is uh, a nasty talking head on CNN. We haven't talked about race. This was a white lash. This was a white lash against a changing country. It was a white lash against a black president in part. You remember, right? 2016, it was a choice between two white people. This guy is a total piece of work and a great big phony. He's getting award, a $100 million award for being civil. Civil, civil, civil. Is this civil? How were, how were the Republicans able to push things through when they had less than 60 senators, but somehow we can't? <laughs> well, the answer to that is they're <laughs> Oh, that's so uh, that's so cute. Again, this is no kidding. Mr. Civility, one hundred million dollars for his civility. So there has to be more to this guy. Right. I mean, they know that he's a hothead, that he says horrible things that gets him fired from the Obama administration that actually happened. So what is there to this man? Really? Well, let's uh, let's go back to Jeff Bezos. Hey, guys, can you roll the little video we put together about Van Jones? Can you roll that little video, please? Short video. Van has been a part of much change. He has birthed a number of different grassroots community organizations. He also helped us bring together climate justice and racial justice and what that meant in particular for low-income communities of color. You can't live in a country where you just have sacrifice zones, whether it's talking about right, South Central right. or Appalachia or the Rust yeah. Belt, and no political party stands up for him effectively. He was always so ahead of the curve that a lot of people didn't understand him. So that was always hard to watch because I know his love for people and for justice, it doesn't matter to him what people say. He continues to do the work that needs to be done. I think about what he's done within the criminal justice system, what he's done with making bipartisanship real, not just what think tanks are doing, not researching the idea, not exploring in history how bipartisanship worked. He's been rolling up his sleeves. He's been doing the work in real life. Wow. Wow. Did you get all that? Um, he walks through hallways. Uh, he looks good. He sounds good. But let's get to the substance. He's been in charge of much change. He has birthed grassroots organizations, uh, climate justice and racial justice. He's been working for that in very broad terms. Basically, he's a talking head who they like, who they trust. It's one of them. A hundred million dollars. Again, this is my friends, a virtue signal. And the whole darn thing is totally phony. So hypocritical. You heard what Bezos said about um, never question someone's motives. I can tell you where this is going right now. Where did it go when Joe Biden used to talk about that very thing? It's always appropriate to question another man's judgment, but never appropriate to question his motives because you simply don't know his motives. I never question another man or woman's motives. 
I question their judgment, but not their motives. You don't question another man or woman's motive. You can question their judgment, but not their motive. I learned that early lesson. It's always appropriate to question another man or woman's judgment, but never their motive. Once you question their motive, then in fact, there's no way to get to go. Wow, what an important lesson that he threw away as soon as he became president. Sick. It's sick. The Republican voters I know find this despicable. Republican voters. And they're trying, not only targeting people of color, they're targeting voters of all races and backgrounds. It's with a simple target. Who did not vote for them? That's the target. It's unconscionable. We have to ask, are you on the side of truth or lies? Fact or fiction, justice or injustice, democracy or autocracy. That's what it's coming down to. Why well, we've come a long way from not questioning anyone's motives, right? If you're not with Joe, you're a liar. If you're not on his side, you are the enemy. You are, anyway, that's where this Bezos thing is going. And they just armed a known race baiter slash hustler with $100 million. And that is a disgrace. I'll be right back with Senator Rand Paul. He had a great day yesterday taking on Dr. Fauci. Have you checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson? You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. All I can say is, is that, that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? Joe Biden talks too much. We all know that. But sometimes when he talks a lot, he inadvertently reveals things about his character. At least I, uh, well, I made an observation here. And uh, I was reading a book, and I got to go back a couple of weeks to when he was in Tulsa and bad-mouthing America, what a terrible, racist place this country is and has been. Uh, Joe talked about mm, life in America today. This is apart from race. This is just uh, what it's like to, I don't know, be an adult in America. There's greater recognition that for too long we've allowed a narrowed, cramped view of the promise of this nation to fester. The view that America is a zero-sum game, where there's only one winner. If you succeed, I fail. If you get ahead, I fall behind. Joe, I actually don't look at America that way. And the scenario you're talking about doesn't apply to American life. It applies to your business, politics. That's what he seems to be talking about. If you win, I lose. That's his business, an election. And it's been his business his entire adult life. He's talking about himself. I'm gonna prove it to you in a moment. Next. If you get a job, I lose mine. And maybe worst of all, if I hold you down, I lift myself up. Instead of, if you do well, we all do well. If you do well, 
We all do well. Why is he angry about this uh, allegedly hopeful message? Um, this is his worldview. If you do well, I don't do well. This is, this is Joe's game in Delaware and has been his entire life. Now, take a look at this book. Brilliant book, actually, about the 2012 campaign by Mark Halperin, works here at Newsmax, and John Heilman. You're either on the way up or you're on the way down was a favorite Biden adage. And Daly was clearly not ascended to talking about the chief of staff. How about that? You're either on the way up or you're on the way down. This is Joe Biden's America, not us. We're not like that, Joe. You are. Let me know what you think. Uh, also, this, uh, you know, we showed you earlier and we have Dr. Rand Paul, Senator Paul coming up. He got into a pretty big argument with Fauci yesterday. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals and they increase their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function. It is not. It's a dance and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for 4 million people dying around the world okay. from a pandemic. Dynamite stuff and it lasted minutes and minutes and minutes. Uh, how did the evening news last night cover this? The U.S. is already averaging 26,000 new infections a day, over 1,000 an hour. The reason it's so formidable is the fact that it has the capability of transmitting efficiently from human to human in an extraordinary manner. Today on Capitol Hill, the nation's top pandemic doctors said it's the unvaccinated accelerating the pandemic as deaths skyrocket by nearly 50 percent. And that's it. Uh, Dr. Fauci may have been caught in a lie yesterday. This is a big, big deal. And they just had him reading from his uh, prepared statement. Um, that's it. That's it. They're covering for this guy. Somebody else they cover for a lot, General Milley, who has no business leading the United States military right now. General Milley is a threat to the military. I'm sorry, I hate to say that, but uh, his leadership is toxic. We saw that a few weeks ago when he uh, held court in Congress, his thoughts on critical race theory and woke culture. It is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage and I'm white and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders now and in the future do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? Well, at least his virtue signaling didn't cost $100 million, huh? First-class virtue signaling, nonetheless. There he is, wants to find that out, wants to know. White rage, you already figured out June, uh, January 26th. White rage, you just answered your own question. It's white rage. Well, 
Last week, you know, he made headlines because uh, he was so worried about President Trump. He told these reporters that President Trump was going to conduct a coup. The whole thing is nonsense. Anyway, he made a lot of news last week. Today, there was a news conference, and he didn't want to talk about any of this. You said the words white rage. Yeah, I said I'm not going to discuss it right now. I think it's a very complicated topic, and we don't have the time to go into the nuance of it right this minute. I can do that later. I'll be happy to do that later. Uh, but right now, it's not a good time to do that. Why not? You did it last week. Uh, I mean, why not? Why not? You rattled it off like an old expert on critical race theory. We can handle nuance. Interesting that he just wanted to turn that off. His boss was standing right there, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. I don't want us to get distracted with the, with the critical race uh, uh, conversation. This department will be diverse. Uh, it will be inclusive. And uh, you know, we're going to look like the country that we support and defend. Will be diverse. Will be inclusive. Will, it, already, it already is. It already does. And they're ruining it. They're absolutely ruining it. I know firsthand how beautiful and diverse and inclusive, but without actually thinking and talking about that stuff. And these guys are ruining that. And it's such a shame. And now this. Black lives do matter. All lives matter, but not the way the Black Lives Matter organization says. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. That way they can score political points and achieve more power and gain money. But this man's life mattered. 21-year-old Perot Simeon shot and killed in Brooklyn here in New York City last Wednesday. A surveillance video shows him uh, roll up on a city bike. And you'll see the bike enter the picture here. And that person in the shorts, he's about to grab a gun and shoots him. See this? And runs off. Police think this was all gang-related. The shooter there looks very young. Police think he might be as young as 13 years of age. Uh, friends described the deceased Perot as a very caring person and great with kids. Just 21 years old. So far, no arrests. And again, that shooter might just be 13 years old. We will be right back with Dr. Rand Paul, also happens to be a U.S. senator. And yesterday, he was spectacular taking on Dr. Fauci. Be right back. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals and they increased their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function. It is not. It's a dance and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for 4 million people dying around the world okay. from a pandemic. Wow, Senator Rand Paul uh, really going after Dr. Fauci. And a lot of us think it's about time Dr. Fauci gets called out. Actually, Senator Paul has been on this case for a long time, and he joins us once again. Senator Paul, Republican of Kentucky, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you, and uh, are you pleased with how yesterday turned out? Well, you know, I think the truth is important. I mean, four million people have died so far. And if this came from a lab and came from people in the lab purposely trying to make viruses more 
uh, virulent or more pathogenetic, more dangerous. Boy, what a crazy thing. And I mean, we really should have a debate in our country whether this kind of research should continue, whether we should be funding research in China at all, but really whether we should be funding gain of function or making these super viruses in the, even in the United States. I think it's a mistake. I think there have been scientists warning for 20 years that a virus was going to escape the lab and cause a pandemic. And now it looks like it has. I want to play another clip from yesterday and uh, we'll pick it up after. The point that you are making is that the, the, the grant that was funded as a sub-award from EcoHealth to Wuhan created SARS-CoV-2. That's where you are getting. Let me finish. We don't know. Well, we don't wait know a minute. It did I come can, from the lab, but you, all the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab, you, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the right. lab, including yourself. I totally This committee resent, will allow the witness to respond. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating. Let me see if I understand. Money did come from the NIH through this eco-organization to the Wuhan lab to do, in your opinion, gain-of-function research. That seems to be pretty ironclad. He's saying, well, there's no way that the money actually was used to create the virus itself. Those two things can be true or not. Well, he's arguing something that we're not arguing. We didn't argue that the research involved and published by Dr. Xi, she didn't admit to creating COVID. So in her research, she created a novel virus that wasn't known to man, did not exist in nature, but it wasn't COVID-19. We're not saying she created it and admitted to it. We're saying that she was doing the type of research that could have created COVID-19 and that may well have, and that they may not have been honest or forthcoming about it. But what we do know publicly is that Dr. Xi, the bat scientist from Wuhan, published a paper in which she lists the NIH as funding her paper. She lists the grant number, for goodness sakes. So there's no question the NIH funded it. The question that Dr. Fauci is trying to misdirect us with is that he's saying it wasn't gain of function. But really, this is, this is readily provable. We need to be getting scientists on the air across America and asking them that question. You know, there are many scientists out there who know the answer to this. Uh, Dr. Redfield was a virologist. Someone needs to ask him, was it gain-of-function research that was going on in Wuhan? Because it, to, to, to most of the physicians and scientists involved, I've asked, was this gain-of-function? They say this was the epitome of gain-of-function. They took an animal virus that doesn't infect humans, they modified it in the lab and made it such that it would infect humans. That's the, that's the definition of gain-of-function research. That's the definition of gain-of-function research. And he was getting emotional, very, very testy. You were very precise in what you were saying. Um, and a strange way he was as well, but I think maybe to confuse the issue. I want to play one more clip from yesterday, please. Those viruses are molecularly impossible no one's to result they are. No in SARS-CoV-2. the pandemic. We're saying they are gain-of-function yeah. viruses because they were They're animal not. viruses that became more transmissible in human, and you funded it. And you, you admit the truth. And you implying... Senator Paul, your time has expired, and I will allow witnesses right. who come before this committee to respond. And, and you are implying that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individual I totally resent and could that. Have been. And if anybody and could is have been. lying here, Senator, it is you. 
Well, I can see why he would resent it and get touchy if he's responsible here. Do you think you caught him in a lie? I understand you're contacting the Justice Department. You think this could be a criminal matter? Is he lying? It is, it is a crime. It's a felony to lie to Congress. And without question, he is lying. Yes, he funded gain-of-function research in there. Look at it this way. In 2014, they had a pause in funding gain-of-function research. How do you pause funding if you were never doing it? See, he says that he never has funded gain-of-function research. And yet, there was a pause on it for three years. So they did pause it, except they made exceptions. And the doctor she researched in the Wuhan lab was apparently exception. I'll bet you there's a paper trail. If we can ever get a hold of the documents, I think there's going to be a paper trail, whether it was granted an exception or they simply never reviewed it. And see, this is even worse. There is a debate, at the very least, a debate over the gain of function. Well, they never, they never debated it at all. They just defined it away and said, oh, well, nothing to see here. But that research is gain of function. They were taking viruses that don't normally infect humans. They were creating super viruses in the lab that don't exist in nature. And then they were testing them on human cells and finding, yes, they do infect human cells. Yeah. Well, you're a physician. And Dr. Fauci is a physician as well. He could get this by others, but not you. And look, quite frankly, I don't understand all of it when it comes to gain of function and the molecular side, but I do understand masks. And I do understand how inconsistent he has been on masks, and we can show that in quite vivid fashion uh, right now. There he is, of course, at the ball game. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. He's not wearing a mask. But everybody, uh, they've been watching this show, they're familiar with these two clips. Roll them, please. People should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. If you have a physical covering with one layer, you put another layer on, it just makes common sense that it likely would be more effective. From don't wear a mask to wear two masks. Um, was he lying or deceiving? Deceiving people on purpose back then? What are, what are your thoughts on that matter? The mask and Dr. Fauci and what he said and didn't say. Much of his dishonesty comes from elitism. He believes that the common man's not smart enough to know things, so he may have to lie on occasion. This is what Plato called noble lies. He lies with good intention. So when he told you that no masks worked, he was afraid that you would buy the N95 mask that would be sold out, and it is the mask that works, the N95, and they use them in the hospital. And later on, when he told you all masks work, he still, he didn't want you to buy too many of the N95 masks. And so it's really about sort of, he has a, a superior truth that he's trying to prevent you from making uh, mistakes as individuals. And so he, he does have to lie to you sometimes, but this is, he sits on this, this elite spot that he thinks that he is able to, and he's doing it for your own good. But that's really the epitome of, of elitism and the left is they, they think we're not smart enough to make our own decisions. And I actually think the opposite. If you look at the people who've been told that over 65 is a significant risk factor, 85% of those over 65 decide to take a vaccine. I think we're actually very rational people. And given evidence, uh, we will, in a, free, in a free society, make wise decisions. And if we don't, the people who suffer are the people who make bad decisions. So there's a selective process for good decision-making. Uh, Senator Paul, Dr. Paul, I'm so glad you're there. Many thanks and come back anytime, please. Thank you. Be right back. It's our America. We built it. Courage. Freedom. 
Millions go to Newsmax when they need to know. Start today on the free Newsmax app. Newsmax is real news for real people. So as you know, uh, Democrats could care less about all the hundreds of Black Lives Matter riots and all the property destruction that happened for about a year. And they're so fixated on January 6th, all right? They've been talking about investigations. They've been talking about massive reviews. They obviously want to score political points. And now it's gotten ultra-political. The Democrats want to have a committee, and they are vetoing key Republicans like Representatives Jordan, Jim Jordans, and Representative Banks. These are fantastic inquisitors. You want them on the committee. Uh, but they've been rejected by Nancy Pelosi. So Leader McCarthy had something to say about that. This represents something that has not happened in the House before for a select committee by the historian. It's an egregious abuse of power. Pelosi has broken this institution, made it undeniable this panel has lost all legitimacy and credibility. And it shows exactly what I warned back at the beginning of January. That Pelosi would play politics. She's broken the institution. Wow. Well, someone who was uh, destined to be on that panel, but not anymore, is Republican Congressman Kelly Armstrong of North Dakota. And you saw him there in the clip with uh, Leader McCarthy. Congressman Armstrong, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Thanks for having me, Greg. You bet. So just overall, before we talk about what Pelosi did here, Do you see the need for a bipartisan panel to look into January 6th? Well, I mean, we obviously didn't support the earlier one, but when the speaker has, I mean, I think that's the point of all of this. The speaker has the ability to impanel this. What she doesn't have to do, what she doesn't have is the ability to pick who is on the committee. Uh, I served with Jim Jordan for two years on uh, judiciary through the Mueller, through two impeachments, through all of those things. And I'm really concerned about what uh, Leader McCarthy said. I think this institution is fundamentally being changed. And I don't think it has anything to do with the last election. And to be honest, I don't think it has anything to do with the next election. I think it has to do with Speaker Pelosi maintaining an ironclad grip on her conference for the next 18 months. Can they have a committee with just uh, Democrats? Because all Republicans, including yourself, have been pulled, understandably so, after what happened. Can they go forward without Republicans? Would they try that? Well, I think they will, because not all Republicans have been polled. And as long as there is one on the committee, they'll have a quorum. But I don't think the American people are going to give it any credibility, and they shouldn't. And this is regardless of where you stand ideologically on the spectrum. This is not how this place operates. This is not how this place should operate. And this is being Listen, every time Speaker Pelosi uses the word unprecedented, it's to consolidate power in her office. It was unprecedented to put a glass case in the balcony so she could get the gavel to begin with. It was unprecedented to put metal detectors around the around uh, the capital or the House floor. It was unprecedented to allow proxy voting long after it was no longer necessary. But all of those things give her a complete control over the U.S. House and over the People's House, and it's unacceptable. And unfortunately, when institutions change like this, they never go back to the way they were, and that's tragic. And we should be talking about that. Uh- Here's a Democratic senator, uh, Casey of Pennsylvania, on cable today uh, talking about how they're going to shape this committee. 
Uh, and anyone who voted, anyone who voted for the objections to my home state of Pennsylvania or Arizona should have no role in this. They are, by definition, disqualified. They voted against the Constitution. They committed what I think is a constitutional crime. They should be nowhere near uh, the membership uh, and participation in any investigative uh, effort because they are, by definition, totally biased in favor of um, in favor of a set of actions that are contrary to our Constitution. So you know, the vote wasn't um, <laughs> up or down on the Constitution. The Electoral Count Act of 1887 allowed for this. You were allowed to vote no on January 6th. What's your reaction to what he just said? What? Well, it's very interesting that a senator is weighing in on that because Speaker Pelosi hasn't said that. And the reason she hasn't said that is because the, the, her chairman of the select committee has voted to object to electors in the past. Jamie Raskin has voted to object to electors in That's the past. Right. Yeah. This is, but the bottom line is this. The majority does not get to pick minority membership. And if that's the road they're going down, listen, the math, the maps, and their policies are going to have us take back the majority in two years. And, they, and a lot of their members better think about what this looks like. I don't think Speaker Pelosi cares because I don't think she'll be here in the minority. But the long-lasting damage she's doing to this institution is going to be is going to be felt long after today. Long after today. Um, what about getting back to the hearing about January 6th? Do you think that, uh, let's face it, there are people who are deeply suspicious about Nancy Pelosi, what she did, what signals she gave to the sergeant at arms, security, no security, mm -hmm. why those people were let into the Capitol. Did they want a conflict? Do they want uh, all of this? There are people who think that or are wondering that. You think she might be vulnerable on any of that well, there's a lot of questions we want to ask about uh, about Capitol Police leadership, why the why the National Guard was being staged, why they didn't have a protocol to get them in place uh, in place to begin with. Listen, they knew. I mean, we need to make sure why this uh, this entire building wasn't secure and we need to make sure it never happens again. And we have to do that in a way that allows access to the people's house from constituents from all over the country that want to get here. Those should be our number one priorities. We want to keep everybody who works here, who visits here and who's a member here safe. And we want to allow access for the American people. That's what this commission should be working towards. But I think it's pretty interesting that Chairman Thompson said everything's on the table, but he's also said that the Speaker's office is off the table. So I don't know what everything on the table means, but it, it means something different to me than it does to the chairman. Oh, yeah, it looks like uh, I hear that they're trying to work this out so they have to compel President Trump to testify. That's obviously a stunt on their part. Congressman Armstrong, we so appreciate you being here. Uh, thanks so much, and we'll be right back. The Battle of Bunker Hill during the Revolutionary War. It was a very, very important battle. Uh, why? I'm not exactly sure, actually. I have to brush up on my history. I have been to Bunker Hill. A very impressive site. They got that obelisk now. Kind of looks like the Washington Monument. There is a new book, and it's perfect for somebody like me who has forgotten the uh, important parts of the Bunker Hill story. The Adversaries, a story of Boston and Bunker Hill by Ned Ryan, who also happens to be the CEO of American Majority. It's a nonprofit, nonpartisan group that provides training to conservative activists and political candidates in the United States. Welcome, uh, Ned. How are you? Yeah, great to be with you, Greg. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much, sir. Uh, congratulations on the book. And for those of us who have forgotten, uh, Bunker Hill, very important, but why so? 
Well, I mean, it's the first set battle piece of the American Revolution, but it was more than that. The last nine or 10 months is what the book talks about before the actual Battle of Bunker Hill. When, when Greg, British uh, people stopped talking to each other because Massachusetts at the time was 85% direct English lineage. Uh, and they finally started realizing that the colonists on one side of the Atlantic didn't have much in common with Englishmen on the other side. And it really came down to who governs, who makes the laws, how are the laws made? And it really came to the point where they realized they couldn't agree on some fundamentals. And when word stopped, they started shooting at each other. But the real genesis for the book, Greg, was I've always been fascinated by the life of Dr. Joseph Warren, uh, who was a protege of Sam Adams, but one of the main political organizers in Boston in those months leading up to Bunker Hill. He became a general in the Provincial Army. He was president uh, of the Provincial Congress. And then on the day of Bunker Hill, he actually goes to fight. He was one of those incredible figures who was not only a leader, but realized, I'm not going to send men to fight uh, by themselves. I will actually go. And he, he found himself in that earthen redoubt on Breed's Hill on June 17, 1775, actually fighting for what he believed. And back then, and I'm looking at some of these vintage uh, paintings, I mean, let's face it, no cameras, but wow, they really were that close. And they went, at least the British did, in these lines that seemed to be tactically I mean, not very smart. But what was battle? What was fighting like back then? I mean, this is one of the things, Greg, the British were so arrogant, they really felt that the Americans, first of all, were not going to charge them and were not going to fight back. And so on that day, William Howe, who's the British British general and commanded the British forces, made some 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 drastic ta tactical errors. It became a bloody, bloody fight for the British. In fact, half of their forces that day became casualties uh, and the Americans had had far fewer losses even though the British technically won the Battle of Bunker Hill. But it really was that moment in which the American colonists said, we are going to fight for our freedoms. We're going to fight for our rights. And the interesting thing, Greg, that, that, was, that came, became very clear to me in the research on this book, the, the colonists, the founders truly believed that they had been given these natural rights by a transcendent creator, the rights to property, but also their rights to, to freedom of speech and freedom of conscience mm -hmm. and the right to govern themselves. Yeah. And they believed that since these rights came from a creator, no earthly power had given them, no earthly power could revoke them. And when the British Parliament and King's Minister said, oh, we think this is more a series of suggestions, the colonists said, no, we believe these rights are worth fighting for. I love it. And those rights are still under attack, by the way. Let's look at that book cover one more time, and I am buying it. Uh, Good. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, I have to, actually. The Adversaries, A Story of Boston and Bunker Hill by Ned Ryan, CEO of American Majority. It does sound great, and uh, it's about time I... Uh, I looked at our history. I did it, uh, you know, in school, but not in a long time. Thank you, Ned. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your support. So grateful. So grateful. Uh, stand by for Stinchfield, and I will see you tomorrow.